How's it going, Will? It's good, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good. Um, we're trying something new this week. Yeah. Normally, normally we do like one sort of big topic that you know isn't necessarily related to anything in, in current events of what's happening right now. It's more like you know we'll do a deep dive into a company or an industry or a format or ask just like one big question. Uh, and usually one person does a lot of research and the other person is more like learning. Um, this week, I think, uh, you had an idea that I, that I really liked. So maybe, maybe you should explain it for what the format is this week. Yeah. Um, so we, we've kind of been trying to like take turns on being the, um, we kind of call it the student and the teacher, um, with kind of our deep dive episodes where one person researches a lot and the other person kind of learns. Aristotle, if you will. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting or it. Or the Socrates and the Plato. Maybe it's yes. better. I like that comparison. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that's those those are really good. We like doing those. I I think uh, sometimes it, it doesn't seem like there's always something um, we want to devote an entire episode to, but uh, there there are still interesting things in media happening. You know that we have conversations about or interesting articles and stuff like that, um, but they may not be enough to fit into an entire episode. So the idea was to just take, uh, a, you know, two or three interesting stories that have happened over the past week and talk about them uh, on an episode. And so that's what we're doing here. Yeah. So this is current events. This is new. Yep. This is news and opinion related right. to the media industry. Cool. Right. Uh, and yeah, so. so I think the, the two stories we kind of gravitated toward, one was uh, This American Life introducing a tool they've created for sharing audio clips of their podcasts called Shortcut. Um, and the other one is uh, Vox Media launching a new website, uh, a travel website called Meridian that's being entirely funded by Chase Sapphire Reserve. So it's kind of like taking the notion of uh, a sponsored article and uh, stretching it out to be an entire website. Um, so those are those are kind of two things that we both thought were interesting and have been reading more about and are going to talk to now. Yeah. So let's just jump in. Um, yeah. So this American Life, they were they you know podcast been around since the beginning of podcasts. In fact, right. it's actually a radio show. It's been around before podcasts. Um, but I think. Nobody doubts that they are the sort of OG of, of the podcast movement. And, um, you know, a lot of the shows that people are fans of now, whether it be, you know, Serial or Invisibilia or Planet Money, which spurned Gimlet, uh, lots and lots of the best kind of narrative style podcasts really came from This American Life. And so I think it's very appropriate that, you know, This American Life is like still pushing the boundaries, not just in terms of storytelling, but in terms of the tech, too. And this big, I guess the, the thing that they made, the problem they're trying to solve, is that um, podcasts are not super shareable. Podcasts do not often go viral. In fact, maybe the only time it's ever happened was Serial. <laughs> and even then, it was right. like a word-of-mouth phenomenon. It, it wasn't exactly viral. It was like more similar to Pokemon Go <laughs> than it was like, you know, like a piece of content from BuzzFeed, you know, that like right. goes viral in a more pure way. Um, and so, so this American life created a tool called shortcut and the goal is to change that maybe a little bit. Uh, I'm curious, maybe <laughs> will, you should talk about, um, how shortcut works and like what it is. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's good to start with, you know, what it does. Um, I was just playing with it uh, right before this episode, actually. Uh, And so basically what it does is say you're listening to an episode of This American Life, and there's a particular moment uh, that that you like and and want to share with with friends. So what Shortcut allows you to do is um, it basically opens up uh, like a script of the entire episode, and you can select, um, you know, quotes. And when you select those bits of text, it uh, isolates that audio segment from the episode and it creates a video for you to share uh, that has the audio that you selected. And then uh, from the transcript, it pulls the words and puts that uh, on the screen for the video. So uh, not only do people, you know, hear the, the segment, but they also can follow along visually and see the words coming up and you can select like different, they have like four different color schemes that you can choose. Um, so it puts, you know, words that are a certain color on a nicely colored background and there's kind of a waveform behind it. Um, so, so in addition to just being audio, you're, you're actually sharing a video, um, on, on Facebook or, or Twitter. And so that's, that's basically how it works. What, what I think is interesting, um, well, there are a number of things that are interesting, but, Right now, uh, it, it only works if you're listening to This American Life on their website. So if you're you know, on a desktop or a laptop or on There's your phone. An app too. What's that? They released an app, too, on the iPhone app. Oh, they I did? that's what he said. Yeah. Um, Let me double okay. check it. Yeah, well, so I think um, it, it doesn't work in any, like, podcasting apps. Um, oh, so yeah, no, they, they made their own app. Right, right. So, like, if you're listening uh, to This American Life through uh, Apple's podcast app or through Overcast or something like that, um, it I, I don't believe it works. Um, but basically, if you're listening on their website, uh, there's a little button underneath the audio player that says cut this, and you press that, and it takes you into the shortcut editor. And that's that's basically how it works. Right. Yeah, no, you have to have their you have to have the This American Life app, I think, in order to do it. Um, okay, gotcha. But yeah, it's not something you could do just like in the I, iTunes podcast app or like in Overcast or whatever podcast app you use. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's uh, I mean, and this gets to the core of like the problem. I think it's cool, you know, if you were in your feed and you saw this nice little audio snippet um, that was like a cool video that you know someone shared. I would like that. Like that would be cool as, as, uh, you know, someone just browsing my Twitter or my Facebook feed. Um, but I think going back to kind of thinking about how new behaviors form and like, if you, mm-hmm. if you were to apply the lessons from like, say near IELTS, like habit loop, right? Like, <laughs> one of our previous hardbound stories, um, right. there's gotta be a trigger. Like people don't do things unless there's a thing in their environment that says you should do this. And, so I think the first problem of this is um, it doesn't fit into people's existing behaviors, like, at all. It's a complete side thing. So, like, my existing behavior is I go to my podcast app when I'm, like, about to walk out of a door to, like, walk somewhere in Manhattan, <laughs> you know? And, like, right. or, like, you know, if we're, like, I'm getting in the car if I'm, like, it, you know, somewhere where I'm driving, which is usually if I'm not in New York. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And uh, you're about to plug it in and, and play. And so the reason why I'm playing a podcast in the first place is because I'm about to do something where I don't have access to, like, 
my eyes, I need my eyes for some other reason, like because I'm walking mm-hmm. or driving or cooking or folding laundry or something like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not very available. And then the second thing is, um, and I, th- I think that is a really core part of it. The second thing is, even if I was, like, say, um, in some situation where maybe I'm just, like, listening and I'm just kind of chilling, you know? Like, and I do that sometimes. I, there are some podcasts that I love so much, I will just literally sit and listen to it. Do you ever do that? Like the old days when the family would gather around the radio. <laughs> Fireside chats. No, but I literally do that, especially like at night because um, uh-huh. sometimes like by the end of the day, I'm just like really sick of looking at screens and I'm like right. maybe feeling too tired to just like read a book or something like that. Because <laughs> right. uh, I've, you know, a big part of my job is reading. So I, <laughs> sometimes at the end of the day, you don't necessarily want to do that. Anyway, uh, and um, you know, I'll just kind of chill at the end of the day and sort of sit and ponder as I listen to something. Usually it has to be a really good podcast, but I will, I will do that. And so let's say, for example, I am in a situation like that where I do, I would be able to sort of share something once I heard, oh, this is cool and I want to share this. I think another problem is my, it's not anywhere in my current sort of habit loop to like uh, stop what I'm doing when I hear something that's interesting and like go through this whole process, right? Like right. nothing tells me in my environment like, oh, you should share this. Unless, and I think this is what This American Life could do, but I, I really doubt they will, is unless they really build it into their show and they like have a moment where it's like really cool and they say something that's interesting and it like wraps up a story and then they're like, did you like this? Like go to, you know, uh, shortcut.thisamericanlife.com and you can share your favorite segment from it or whatever. And like that, right. I think they'll have to do something like that in order for anyone at all to use it other than people who work at This American Life or people who are friends of people who work at This American Life or like right. super fans of This American Life. Um, because it just it's outside of uh, people's normal behavior patterns. Yeah, I mean, people don't even really think of that as an option right now because there isn't one. Right. Um, other than telling people like, Hey, I really like this podcast or this particular episode of the podcast and you should listen to it. Yeah. Um, I think but, there's uh, a deeper problem too, which is like, I don't know if the parts that I love about this American life or like almost any podcast for that matter are like very easy to take out of context. Like, I don't know if right. it would work. You sort of need everything that was leading up for it to, for that part to be worth it, you know? So there, there was actually, um, in the, the article that, that I was reading about Shortcut, uh, they linked to another article uh, from Neiman Lab about an experiment that NPR did for a month earlier this year. Um, and the experiment was basically like, can we make audio content go viral on Facebook? Um, because this is just kind of like an open question that I think a lot of people in the, the podcasting uh, industry have had for a while. And, you know, so they did all these things where they, they got you know, various clips from, from NPR podcasts and, and their archive and stuff like that. And just experimented for a month on Facebook with sharing all different kinds, like clips of different lengths, clips with, you know, paired with different kinds of images, all sorts of stuff. Um, and basically what they found was, uh, they weren't really success as successful as, uh, like all the audio stuff they shared never did as well as other types of content that they usually shared on Facebook. Um, but they did find that certain types of audio content uh, did better than other kinds. Uh, and, and so I think this kind of speaks to what you were just saying, of like it's rare to find a moment in a podcast that it makes sense to share. Um, the things that they found that did kind of, you know, do better 
was when the the audio content was like related to some type of breaking news. Uh, like they, the example they used was a, a clip from when President Obama did uh, a speech about gun violence, and I don't remember after you know which atrocity this was, uh, but it was one of his speeches he gave after a mass shooting, um, and he got really emotional and started to cry a little bit, uh, and so they shared the audio of that moment. Uh, you know, right around when it happened. And, and that did really well. Um, so like, A, it was kind of something you had to hear. Um, there was there was an audio element to it. It wasn't just like something cool that was said. Um, and then B, it was related to to breaking news. And they uh, uh, like another type that worked really well was when uh, when someone famous died, going back into their archives and sharing something insightful from one of their interviews did really well. Uh, like they used the example of Alan Rickman, when he died this year, they went right. back and found him talking about his uh, his voice, which is kind of iconic. You know, it's very deep and people really like his voice. And he was talking about his voice. So, again, that's a very, like, audio-centric moment. Right, uh, but, like, let's be clear. What you're talking about is a completely different behavior because they create – they, the creators of this podcast, bothered to share it on Facebook. And then people just consumed it on Facebook and shared it there. Right. Whereas this American life is asking podcast listeners to like stop what they're doing and use their tool to like create a thing to share to Facebook originally. Right. And, and And, yeah, people are essentially just like retweeting or re Facebooking. (laughs) Um, and that's, to me, that's a completely different behavior. Like if this American life was to do something like that, like great, awesome. Like you can, it's promotion for your show, right? It's like you can build a Facebook audience by, by using your audio to, uh, create like a small shareable segment of it that maybe has like a cool background and doing it. But I, I think the behavior is fundamentally different. It's like I'm on Facebook, I'm consuming, you know, text and video, and maybe it's a video that's mostly just audio, but it's still like a video technically. Um, and it's a short clip, and I'll just hit the share button, right? Like it's, they, didn't, uh, yeah. they didn't get people to share while they were listening to their podcasts, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't so talking totally about different. this. Yeah, and I was more talking about it from the standpoint of, like, is there content within podcasts uh, that that makes sense to share? You know, just like, are there, like, clips within podcasts that you can take out of their context and share? um, And will people consume that? So, yeah, I'm I'm not really talking about the behavior of, of getting users to share it, but it's more like, you know... Is there stuff within podcasts that is shareable? Sure. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, the answer is yes. The, the answer is also yes for, like, uh, movies, right? Like, you see GIFs or, like, clips from movies or TV shows. But, like, when you're in a movie theater or, like, when you're watching a TV show, uh, like, on Netflix or something, uh, you you don't stop what you're doing and, like, share right. the URL from Netflix. Like, that's not, right. you know, it's, it's just, It's too I think, disruptive and difficult. Exactly, and that's exactly what Shortcut from This American Life is essentially asking people to do, and I don't think it right. really makes sense. So I think if we're talking about, is Shortcut going to succeed? I think the answer is definitely no. Yeah, like as far as like a bunch of users uh, adopting it and frequently using it, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I do think it could be useful just for podcast creators um, as a, a, you know, a means to create interesting uh, content from their, from their episodes to share. Um, yeah. And then you're just getting people to either, uh, you know, A, 
listen to it, sample the episode and go, oh, I want to listen to that. Um, or B, you know, get them to, to retweet it or, or, sh- or reshare it or, totally. or whatever. But like, so, let's be honest, like that's not their goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, that I, is I the goal is. though of uh, Audiograms, the thing from WNYC. Like that was a that was a piece of code that you had to like run on your own server and it would like generate these things for you. Mm-hmm. Like that was for podcast creators. This is for listeners. The, yeah, the and, shortcut. And yeah, and I, I I don't really see it taking off that way. Yeah. And that, that's what's interesting to me is like, you know, they probably spent a lot of money off that. They should have asked us, Will. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing that could be interesting is if uh, podcasting apps out there, um, you know, look at it and maybe it gets them thinking on on ways, you know, better options to give users for sharing stuff. Um, but there's always going to be that problem of uh, the context in which people consume podcasts. Uh, because yeah. I'm like you, I'm, al- I'm always... Uh, I'm always doing something else with my eyes when I listen to a podcast. Um, and it's just, it, it's really hard to stop doing that other thing. Um, and especially even like with something like this, it's still not as simple as just clicking share. Like you have to <laughs> click it, like find the part that you wanted to share. And, and there's, there's a lot of steps. So I, I think that's it's a kinda, lot. Yeah. It's kind of a challenge. <laughs> it's a lot to overcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but the end product, I, I mean, it, it looks cool. Like I'll, I'll give them that. Um, like, you know, I, I think it's nice for the creators of the show to use it. Um, but yeah. just in terms of interrupting the behavior and uh, convincing users to, to do it, I think is going to be really, really challenging. And, and I don't see too many people doing it. Yeah. I mean, to me, what's so interesting is just like thinking about, um, you know, if you want to design a good product or analyze whether a product is going to succeed or fail, just thinking through, like, what is the behavior that you're hooking into? Like, how will people know, oh, it's the time to do this? And there has to, it, to start, it has to be an external trigger where something in their environment says, you could do this, and people have to, you know, it has to be the kind of thing that they actually want to do, and then they have to be able to do it easily. And then, you know, that, that trigger has to keep coming back and attach itself, hopefully, in their brain with some association to, like, that this is, like, you don't need to be prompted anymore, necessarily. And that's when, like, people start doing a behavior a lot. And so, like, um, you know, just taking that basic lens on it, it's, like, if you, if you sort of have the right um, framework through which to analyze a new product, it's, like, you can kind of tell, I think, if something has a good shot at succeeding or not. And, and I think that... Um, you know, with audio, uh, the most challenging part about it is, uh, that I think people kind of underestimate is the extent to which, uh, people consume it in a context where they don't want to be doing a lot of things. And so if the product requires you to like do much while you're listening, I think it's like not, <laughs> it's not going to work that well. And I think that's the beauty of podcasts is because you're occupied, it's easier, um, to hold your attention for longer. I think that's the reason mm-hmm. why you have podcasts that are like, an hour long. Like, can you imagine reading something for an hour on your phone? Like, that's that's a lot. That's like, I bet it's you, tough. that's you know. And like, I sort of, I've been there um, for some books that I've been really into. Maybe when I was on a plane and I only had my phone or whatever. But like, it's not a frequent thing to do. Whereas like, I listen to hour long podcasts or like multiple podcasts that add up to an hour um, a lot. Like, that's that's almost. Uh, that's, that's definitely a weekly behavior and is approaching a daily behavior for me. Um, and so I think that's the beauty of audio. And so you should just sort of embrace that. I think if you're like trying to, um, you know, think about marketing for your podcast, uh, 
maybe think about it the same way that people do marketing for TV shows or movies because it's it's probably not going to go viral and like that's sort of okay <laughs> in my in my opinion I don't know I'm curious to hear your perspective on that yeah no I I, I would say I pretty much agree with that um, yeah I, I think it's uh, it's it's very unique and the things that apply to other mediums don't really apply to it um, and yeah I I, I think it's uh it's just really challenging to think of you know episode by episode moments um being spread widely by users yeah yeah i just i'm very i'm very bearish on anything that attempts to do that i guess um and it would be cool if i was proven wrong because in general i want podcasts as a medium to succeed and i think that would help but i also don't think that podcasts are in trouble if nothing like that ever really becomes like a mainstream behavior Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And, you know, I I do think podcasts just as a thing uh, are somewhat shareable now, uh, but it's mostly just, I think, through through word of mouth with with people telling each other. Um, Exactly. It's it's still kind of hard even from podcasting apps to like, uh, you know, tell people about other stuff or even get people to figure out how to use them and things like that. Totally. I mean, the thing that I'm, that I'm excited about that I a hundred percent think is going to happen is there's going to be an app that essentially has like Goodreads type functionality or like mm-hmm. almost like Foursquare type pr- functionality where it's like you're checking in, you're recording what you're doing like built in. So where it's the app that you listen to stuff on and it's the app where you have a profile that shows what you listen to and it's the app where you can see what other people are listening to and there's like leaderboards and charts and all kinds of stuff that um, is more socially defined and like people you know or people you follow uh, that no app right now does that very well. And certainly there, there may be some that do it, but no one has a critical mass of users, right? Which is what you need for that to be valuable. Um, so that's where I think discoverability and going viral will happen is sort of like the same way that things you know, get on the top charts of iTunes and that brings them a lot of new listeners. I think there'll be a much more robust discovery mechanisms than just charting on iTunes, right? That will, uh, that will bring you a lot of new listeners and allow you to spread through sort of friend networks, uh, and, and interest networks of like, you know, you can imagine a bunch of, it's almost like Twitter, like different, uh, pieces of media spread through different communities. Um, and, and one top leaderboard of Twitter articles, like articles that are being shared on Twitter, like, you know, doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think stuff um, like that will, will happen for podcasts, but it'll be built into like the podcast apps, or maybe it'll be one app that like builds this network around it. I think that's the interesting thing to look at. And that's what I would bet on. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. That would be, that would be nice to have. I'd, I'd love better discoverability, um, yeah. as, as a user and, uh, as someone doing a podcast. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. I mean, I guess in summary, good, good go. It's a beautiful product, but, uh, I don't think people will use it. (laughs) Yeah. I hate to be so negative, but, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my prediction. Yep. I, I would have to agree. Um, cool. Should we, should we talk about Vox's new interesting project? Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to Vox. Um, like, like we said at the beginning of the episode, um, they have launched uh, meridian.net. Uh, take note if you're looking for it. It is meridian.net and not meridian.com. Uh, I don't know of hardly any websites that are .net that are successful. 
<laughs> Actually, uh, I think maybe during Fireball is .NET. I, I, I can think of some product, like successful products, like SaaS products that started out as .NET. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, but in terms of like media sites, that's, yeah. that's true. I, no, no .NETs <laughs> come to mind. .NET um, just reminds me of like, like Net Zero from the early 2000s. You remember Net right. Zero? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah. So I, you know, I I don't think that will uh, I I don't see that playing uh, a huge determinant in whether this is successful or not. Yeah, um, no, I, but, I agree. I'm just mostly <laughs> making a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good observation. Um, okay, so Meridian.net. Yes, remember. Um, yeah. and so it's it's a travel site. Uh, Vox is launching it, and it's a hundred percent sponsored by Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is, uh, I looked into that a little bit. Chase Sapphire Reserve is Chase's newest credit card, uh, and it's, you know, a travel card, and there's lots of travel incentives and, uh, like, you know, extra points on travel purchases and stuff like that. So basically it's a site uh, that the audience it's going after pretty much 100% aligns with the type of customers Chase is looking for uh, to sell this new credit card to. Uh, and and the reason why it's why I, I found it pretty interesting is you know uh, sponsored content partnerships uh, branded content whatever you want to call it uh, it's it's about two thirds of Vox's revenue now so it's a a very very significant part of their business and you know it, up until this point that's mostly been uh, just you know native advertising type content where you know they partner with. Uh, a brand on doing a single article or something like that. Uh, then the next level that they've done is kind of sponsored series of content. So if you're on one of Vox's websites like Eater or something like that, there might be some series, you know, that's presented by, you know, Cadillac or something like that. And it'll be like a series of articles. But this is, um, you know, taking that to an even further level of they're launching an entire website. Uh, and the whole thing is sponsored content. So I, I think that's pretty significant. Um, you know, we, we did an episode on the history of Vox Media and, you know, kind of what they're uniquely good at and, and uh, you know, what's made them successful. And, you know, I think they have uh, nine, eight or nine web properties right now. Um, and so, you know, them adding a new one is pretty significant. Um, in and of itself, and then the fact that it's uh, you know being supported entirely by a brand is is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like it's interesting how um, the sort of I don't want to say necessarily ethics. Maybe it is mm-hmm. ethics, but like you you want to know if something is an ad or not, right? So like when you see on a website that something is like sponsored content or ad like usually there's some sort of call out that's like this is an advertisement you know um right and so it's an interesting question like for meridian is the whole thing an ad or is it just a new site from vox that has one sponsor you know and and right from what i read it sounds like the lines are kind of blurred like i read things that like conflicting things in that article that made it sound like sometimes I thought it was just one big sponsored content site. And then sometimes I felt like it was an editorial site that has some of the pieces within it are sponsored content, but there's other pieces of content that maybe aren't, uh, you know, 
yeah. ads. But the whole thing, to some extent, is an ad if it was tailor-made for Chase Sapphire Reserve's need to find people who are interested in travel to, like, sign up for the credit card. You know? <laughs> like, if, right. if the whole thing was conceived to fulfill that brand's marketing need, then it kind of is a piece of sponsored content. And to me, the interesting question is, like, uh, from an ethics perspective, it's kind of like, who cares? Like, I don't necessarily think anyone's, like, fooling anyone into thinking that, like, they're going to run, like, hard-hitting investigative journalism against Chase or something. <laughs> or, like, you right, know. Right, right. And I don't think that Vox would, like, misrepresent, like, Chase or anything to, like, make them look good if something happened or whatever. Or it's, like, they're just company shills or something. Like, I think it'll mostly just be, like, here's cool things to do in Japan or whatever. Um, but the question is, it's more from a perspective of, like, as a consumer of media, I feel like I only am really a fan of things if I feel like there's some authentic personality behind it that's like people are doing this because it's important to them and that resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And like if the whole thing is just like basically a piece of marketing, like I'm not going to be like a fan of it. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it just doesn't seem like. Like, there's enough things out there, you know? It's like... Sure, sure. I, I can probably find things to, like, really invest something in and identify with that, like, were made out of some passion for the topic as opposed to, like, to solve a marketing problem for a credit card company. Right, right, yeah. And and I think um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the public perception of Meridian is as it grows. Uh, because right now, you know, from the standpoint that we're analyzing it, obviously... We we approach it knowing, uh, you know, that Chase Sapphire Reserve is funding all of this. Um, and, you know, if you go to the website, uh, it's somewhat, somewhat visible. You can tell. Um, yeah. But but if it you just were just a like casual sort of web browser. Right. What's that? It just sort of has an ad at the top right for it. It's not like everything not is talking about obvious. how great Chase is or whatever. Right. So, so I do think the average web browser, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, it will be extremely obvious to them um, at first glance that it's uh, content entirely sponsored by uh, an advertiser. Um, and, but I, I do think it was smart for them on, on that note that you were talking about of, of doing content that has that somewhat has utility in that the, the, the premise of the site um, is that every month they pick a new destination to explore uh, and they they release you know in depth stories uh, with great photography and stuff all about that destination. So you know if you're interested in going like the one they launched with is Japan and that's the only one on the website right now. So if you're interested in going to Japan, I could see this having some utility for you. Um, and it you know it's it's the kind of thing that you might read to find interesting uh, destinations to go to and things like that. So. Um, you're not just having to be a fan of it purely for the writing. You can be a fan because it's, you know, going to help you in some way. Um, so, you know, I think that was smart. And I, you, what's, what's interesting to me about whether this will be successful long-term for them or not is this is the first site that Vox has put out there um, where they didn't take some established, successful... Uh, website or group of of writers or journalists and and bring them into the Vox ecosystem, uh, right. like you know when they they started with SB Nation and the whole growth premise of SB Nation was they found super popular uh, 
blogs for individual sports teams and kind of sucked that into the SB Nation ecosystem where they found people who are already writing about a particular sports team um, and hired them to come and do it for SB Nation. Uh, when they launched Vox.com, they got uh, Ezra Klein and Melissa Bell and Matt Iglesias and brought them over to do Vox.com. Those are all people who were established journalists who you know had followers uh, when they launched The Verge. That was uh, the same team that ran Engadget at AOL. Uh, and yep. so this this website, Meridian, it's 100% produced by the Vox Creative team. Um, and Vox Creative is their in-house uh, sponsored content studio, basically. So right. they're, not, they're not just, uh, you know, going out there and finding a great existing travel site and bringing it into the ecosystem, which is pretty much what they've done with all their other verticals. Um, they are growing it from scratch with, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, mostly uh, people who, who are unknown and don't really have a following. And, and I'm sure they have very, very talented people working on, uh, in Vox Creative, uh, obviously, because it's been a very successful moneymaker for them. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming that brands are seeing value in the uh, relationships that they have with Vox, which is probably why Chase Sapphire, you know, decided to experiment with this at the, the highest level of commitment. Totally. Um, and so, so that, that to me is what's, what's interesting is, uh, can this be successful when it's kind of a new, uh, a new way of growing something for them that they haven't done before? Yeah. I mean, the, the value to chase ultimately is like how many people see this and like end up mm-hmm. thinking about chase Sapphire reserve and linking it with travel in their mind and, and maybe even going on to purchase it. But like, you know, so advertising is fundamentally dependent upon attention. And the question is, if you're building a standalone site on the internet, like that doesn't have a great competitive advantage in terms of uh, you know, getting traffic because like you said, it doesn't follow the playbook of Vox's other successful sites. It's published by um, the advertising team, right? Who are like commissioning pieces or creating pieces. Um, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not published by like someone who uh, maybe already has a following or has already had a lot of success uh, creating a website. Maybe it is, but you know, maybe they went to go work for Vox Creative. But it doesn't. It's not definitely not to the same extent as like The Verge right. or Recode or Vox.com or anything else. Um, how are they going to attract traffic? And you know, it was so expensive to make this. Like, and Chase, like, they must have spent like over a million bucks on this. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it had to easily. be a lot of money for for Vox to devote the the resources to doing this. Um, and like, what kind of traffic are they expecting over what time horizon too? Because if they want to keep growing traffic, that's an even bigger investment. And it's like, um, you know, from Vox's perspective, like, what's interesting to me is like, if you're gonna make one of these sites, like, why not kind of do it right? And like, you, I mean, maybe this is doing it right, but it seems it definitely seems to be more of an advertising thing than it is. Uh, an editorial thing. So then it's like, why not make it more of an editorial thing? Like that's better for you in the long run. Cause you can have a marketplace of clients and not just have chase Sapphire reserve that like could pull the plug if they decide to not, you know, feel like spending a million bucks a year to keep this thing up, like at a minimum probably. Um, cause if it, if it doesn't start to generate a lot of traffic, then like, and there's in my mind, like I have trouble seeing it doing that. Um, it's really hard. It's really, really hard to build an audience. Like you're competing against world-class stuff. And if, if you're doing it because, um, as a piece of marketing, essentially, like how that's, I don't know. It's, I feel it's funny. Both of the things so far I've been kind of negative on, (laughs) I feel really, uh, 
I feel I feel like maybe uh, I want to like sing something's praises to like be less <laughs> negative on this show today. But uh, yeah, well, I don't know. That's the thing. I, is I, I would just, say it'll be interesting to see how they attract traffic. I I would say I'm I'm slightly more optimistic about its chances of success, um, in terms of just Meridian, uh, not necessarily like this you know, becoming a, a big part of Vox's strategy, but can, can Meridian be a successful site? Um, you know, it, I mean, if you look at it, any, all, all of Vox's web properties exist because of advertisers and, and sponsored content and stuff like that. Um, and true, they do have, you know, original editorial content, um, that isn't created just for, uh, sponsors, um, but at the end of the day, that's still, you know, paying the bills for everything. Um, the sponsored content though is like symbiotic relationship with the editorial content because the editorial content is what brings the audience. So without that, true. you don't have any reason to have sponsored content because they're not paying you to do work. They're paying you to like attract attention in the right kind of way. You know, it's true. So um, like, you can pay someone to create a bunch of stuff, but if no one ends up actually seeing it or very few people end up seeing it, it ends up being not worth it. So I think it's like, yes, the sponsored content pays the bills, but the reason why it can is because they have attention and sponsored content alone probably would not attract very much attention. Right. But, but I do think that, um, you know, Meridian, it exists within the context of Vox's other web properties. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those are catering to the same uh, age group, the same, you know, economic status. And those are the same people that Chase wants access to. So I do think the website has an advantage in that Vox can leverage its other web properties to help promote this and get it off the ground. Um, and, you know, from a, from a content standpoint, it's, it's like the what I've read on there isn't super... It's not like it's mentioning Chase Sapphire Reserve like every other paragraph or anything like that. Um, so, so you know, I, I give this somewhat a shot of being successful. I, I think if they, you know, if they continue to publish these guides to different countries each month, um, you know, I, I don't see why it can't be uh, another successful brand for Vox. Um, I guess it's because, to me, I think the reason why is uh, it doesn't seem to... Uh, it doesn't seem to be led by a uh, really strong editorial vision. And, like, maybe mm-hmm. it is. Maybe it is. I could be totally wrong about it. But just, like, browsing through the site and reading the stuff, it does feel like, you know, this, an advertiser had money and they needed to spend it on content. Hashtag content. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's just not, right. it doesn't feel like, uh, like when Vox.com launched, there was, like, this whole manifesto of, like, what they think is missing in the world and why they're doing it, and it's clear that the people who are behind it have been working, you know, their entire careers to to gain expertise in this kind of thing, and it's like there's all this work that went into just creating value for readers. And right, I, I just I don't I don't get that vibe from this. Yeah, I I I'm, I I kind of want to see how it goes. I, I guess I'm kind of reserving my feelings on that until I see more from the site. Yeah. Well, and I could my um, feelings could change. Like if they sure. like. You know, if they just start killing it and like making stuff that is really good, then that's awesome. But I guess just based on what I've seen so far, uh, I'm not, I don't know if this is why I'm saying like, I would, if I were Vox, I probably would have just made this like a real thing and like not have it be something that's published by Vox Creative, but have it be a, its own Vox editorial site, get 
like veteran great editorial leaders behind it that have experience doing this kind of stuff the same way you've done with all your other publications or buy something that already has you know a great following i'm sure there's travel blogs that would be bought <laughs> by vox and like then let do let chase do some sponsored content on it but like you own it and it's your real deal editorial site it's not like a sponsored content site you know what i mean but, but- uh, yeah, yeah. And and the thing about that is I think they know that that strategy already works because they've done it a bunch of times. Um, but if if they have a company coming to them and, you know, saying we'll write this huge check for you in advance. And again, that's that's kind of speculation. I don't I don't know sure. how much money Chase paid. Um, and Vox is sitting here saying, hmm, we have this guaranteed uh, amount of money. And we know we can quickly launch web properties. We know we have access to the exact demographic these people are after. Um, we know we can do this with integrity um, because we've created great sponsored content in the past that's done very successful and, and brought in lots of eyeballs and good traffic and things like that. Um, then, then I think it's absolutely a, a, a good experiment for them to do. Uh, the, the question that I have is, even if Meridian is successful, I'm wondering um, what what scaling this strategy will look like. Uh, and, and something interesting in the, the Wall Street Journal piece that was published about this um, was uh, they interviewed uh, Lindsay Nelson, who's Vox's head of brand strategy and marketing. Um, and, and she really leaned into uh, a, a lot of the uh, things, you know, we, we talked about in the, the history of Vox media episode about what they think makes them uniquely good. Um, like she, you know, she said, uh, that, uh, you know, they, they could probably launch a product like Meridian within a few months. And, um, you know, she mentioned like a lot of the, the tools, the publishing tools they have that's allowed them to create very efficient processes, uh, and things like that. And a, and a lot of the things that their CEO, Jim Bankoff, has brought up in interviews before. Um, and we, we talked at length about their, their CMS platform, Chorus, and, uh, you know, how much of a differentiator they think that is uh, yeah. that gives them a, a unique advantage over other, uh, other media companies. Um, and, you know, when you, when you look at, like, they, they launched Vox.com in nine weeks which was pretty amazing. And so I, totally I am agree. inclined to think that they can effectively launch uh, entire web properties like this quickly. Um, but, but, but it's again, kind of I, not a, it's not the same kind of property. It's not a, it's not a media property. It's an advertising property. And like, I guess if I had to sum up my objection to it, it would be um, life's too short to read sponsored content. <laughs> You know, like yeah. it is, yeah, it, it I, just I, is. And I think I, advertising I, works when it's bundled with something that you want to read. I don't think advertising works if it pretends to be something that people want to read. Cause I think people are smarter than that. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree that, um, non-sponsored content, um, generally is inherently better than sponsored content. Um, but I do think the way you've seen some sponsored content go with, you know, they're doing these entire, separate series of sponsored content within um, their editorial brands. And, you know, when you access some of those, they do feel separate. Uh, a lot of times they have their own, like, branded names. Uh, you know, like, there was one in Eater. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, you know, the series has its own name, and it's presented within Eater in partnership with, you know, whatever brand is sponsoring it. Yeah. Um, and it does have this separate feeling. So, so you know, I'm I'm But Eater I'm drives interested. traffic to it. Meridian is is it right. actually getting traffic from other Vox properties and is it affiliated with any like 
place that has genuine editorial, like original attention focused on it because readers just like it. That's the thing that I wonder is like, right. Is it, cause then it's like, why is this its own site? Like why not just do a cool travel series, like in conjunction with one of their existing sites? Cause someone paid them a lot of money to do it this way. Yeah. I think that's it. I think it's basically <laughs> like Chase Sapphire Reserve like was willing to spend shit tons of money and Vox was like, We'll take it. <laughs> that's yeah, I think that was I, it. I, I think that was I think that's part of it, but I Obviously, also have though, to I believe have no that they think they about. can like, they can do this. Um yeah. and and it can be successful in its own right. Um so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if it'll work. I I uh I, I don't think it's um, impossible for them to make this work with Meridian. I think uh, beyond yeah. that, like, you know, can this scale to them doing it for like 20 brands? I, I you know, have doubts about that, but, um, right. but I'm interested. I, I, I think there's a chance that Meridian could become, you know, a successful site with its own strong brand. It's certainly more challenging, I think, to do it this way uh, than to go out and hire, you know, a veteran team of awesome travel writers. Um but uh, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, I feel like I've been such a negative Nancy on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> a negative Nathan. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that, and also I think this was maybe like one of our strongest disagreements so far on the pod. Probably so. Yeah, we should fight more. <laughs> we should. It it's, must. It's it a must sign be of a healthy relationship us. if you're fighting. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I'm reminded. I just I just uh, dropped the S word, and my dad listens and chastised me for cursing. So, <laughs> I take I take it back, and I'm sorry. <laughs> if you if you're really sorry, you'll go back and edit it out. Ah, uh, that would be funny if I bleeped it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll I see. Mean, we'll see if you're that sorry. I feel like in order to wrap up the episode, I need to say something positive to like cleanse my soul, both about this American life and about Vox and Meridian and Chase Sapphire Reserve. I need to put good vibes out into the universe because I'm, I don't want to be one of those peanut gallery people that, you know, poo-poos everything that other people are doing. Like, you know, the whole Teddy yeah. Roosevelt men in the arena type thing. It is not the critic that counts. <laughs> and this episode, right, I'm right. being a critic and it doesn't count. Um, well, I, I will say it, it seems like you have your reasons for, for, for doubting. So, yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. It's not what I would do. It's, not, it's definitely not what I would do. But I will say shout out to This American Life for trying something new. Um, I think it's very admirable that, uh, a company which does not have tech at its DNA is trying stuff like that. And I would love nothing more than to be proved wrong. And they open sourced it, right? Did they? WNYC opened theirs. Uh, Let me. Yeah. We'll Google it live Um, on the pod. Um, so I'm a big fan of this American life, obviously. Um, I do. Uh, I do listen to it. I do tell people about it, although no one really needs telling anymore. <laughs> I think everyone knows about it. Um, and yeah, I think it's awesome that they're investing in cool tech projects. Um, and then for Vox and Meridian, um, you know, I I hope I'm wrong about that too because I think if they can make it work, then that's obviously a great way to uh, that's a great business model uh, for the future of publishing. And maybe it's good that sponsor content is kind of cordoned off into its own zone, you know. <laughs> um, that, that's a that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah, I really like. So I will say, uh, just kind of shouting out to another thing. I don't know exactly what they're gonna do because it hasn't launched yet. But there's a new site from the guy that started The Verge, Josh Topolsky, called The Outline, and in some of the articles that he's written or interviews that he's done about it, which it, it hasn't launched yet, um, 
he talks about how they want to do sort of mini sponsored content. And I really like that idea. I could totally see like in the middle of an article that was purely editorial, having some box that's like, here's the sponsored zone and have something that's like kind of connects the content in that article to like a brand and like is a big piece of advertisement and it's like sort of created by the company. So it's not just a banner, but it's like actually interesting, but it's like within something that you went to for its own sake. Like, I think that's super cool. Um, I'm not against obviously sponsored content, uh, in general. I just think, um, you know, it needs to be, I think the whole, the whole way that advertisements work is, um, very, 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 very rarely does it attract its own attention. And you always pretty much always need to bundle it in with people who are coming to a place for the kind of thing that, uh, you, you know, they already like, and they, they started liking it because it was like just genuine editorial content that connected with them. Um, and so, you know, if you're not packaging advertising with editorial content, I think it starts to not work pretty quickly because it doesn't attract attention. And so that's my sort of take on it. But I do think it's cool that, um, you know, Vox and Chase are partnering up and trying something new. Um, and it'll, I think if they can make really great content, that, that'll obviously be super useful for travel um, and people that want to learn about interesting things to do in uh, all over the world. And so that's cool too. So those are my two moments of positivity at the end of the episode <laughs> to cleanse my awesome. soul and to not be a, a, a critic <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> I have a huge smile on my face now. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, <laughs> did you end up finding out if the, the shortcut from This American Life is open source? Uh, I went back and looked in the article, and I, I I think you're right. I think I just saw that about the WNYC tool, and may have yeah. attached that to shortcut as well, because um, it's definitely not in the article. Um, it could be uh, Ira Glass did like did the video about shortcut, and maybe something in there was mentioned, but I, I couldn't like watch the video while doing this. So yeah, um, I watched the sure. video right before we did this, and I don't recall him saying anything about yeah. open source. You're probably I do right. think I do think WNYC's thing is open source, though. It's like it's made for podcast creators. Um, yeah, it, it definitely is. That's yeah. that's in the article, and they mentioned that it's open source. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's what it was. Anyway. Cool. Well, this this has been a, a fun episode. It's been different. We had more disagreement. Yeah. I was more negative. I said the S I word. Think, Sorry, Dad. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think it's easier to uh, to maybe have uh, disagreement and debate over stuff that's like a little more current and just happened, um, and it's not some huge deep dive into the like, the whole history of something. You know? Yeah. There's kind of if we're doing an episode that's like the history of YouTube, there's sort of nothing to disagree with. It's just sort of. <laughs> You know, like you're just kind of like bringing up interesting facts that you may not have known about the history of YouTube. Whereas with this, it's like uh, uh, we're we're asking ourselves, what does this mean? Is it going to succeed? Is this, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are questions that uh, we we don't know. So you make a prediction and reasonable people can disagree. Yeah. Well, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. So uh, same time next week. Yep. Sounds good. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye.